Welcome to the Gold Exchange Podcast, where we untangle market... Monetary metals is unlocking the productivity of gold, but the Fed has unlocked the undead to feast on our economy. So we're dedicating the entire month of October to discuss zombies. Our fearless leader, Keith, will demystify the Federal Reserve's Frankensteins with top zombie experts from around the globe. Will zombies take over our economy? Does anyone at the central bank even have a brain to feast on? Will Powell have what it takes to defeat the zombie horde? Or is it all over but the show? Your only hope to find out is here on the Gold Exchange Podcast. <laughs> Welcome back to the Gold Exchange Podcast. My name is Benjamin Nadelstein here at Monetary Metals with founder and CEO of Monetary Metals, Keith Weiner, and our special guest for today, Daniel Lakai. Daniel Lakai author, economist, and chief economist at Tresses. Now, Daniel, I want to jump right in. I know we're in a bunch of different spots all over the world. I'm, I'm here in the United States. Keith, you're in Zurich. Daniel, where are you, and uh, what do you see around you at the moment? Uh, well, uh, talking from Madrid, Spain, uh, recently arrived from the U.S. and the U.K., so seeing, uh, seeing a little bit of everything and a little bit of fun in the U.K., actually, these days. Yeah, well, let's start with some fun in the U.K., yeah. There's been a lot of talk about Liz Truss and some of her policies that she was planning on implementing. And I think there's, in some ways, a scapegoating happening, right? I think you talked about this. Liz Truss, you know, her policies come out, and next thing you know, there's, there's chaos in the markets. Uh, is, is Liz Truss to blame? Well, certainly not. No. There's chaos in the market in Japan. There's chaos in the market in Europe. There's chaos in the market everywhere. What people are doing is to utilize... Uh, a catalyst uh, that is that is fake, you know, a, a budget that is obviously a very bad budget because it's a deficit spending uh, budget, uh, very keen on increase in spending and reduction in taxes, and say that that was the reason why the pound fell and why pension funds all of a sudden needed to uh, provide higher levels of collaterals for their margin calls. Well, obviously, that has absolutely nothing to do with the budget. What has everything to do with the, with the collapse in bonds and the situation in markets in general is interest rate hikes and the, uh, the, 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 what is the, this global dollar vacuum that we're living in which after years of monetary excess, what we what we have is uh, margin calls in energy providers, margin calls in pension funds, margin calls in everyone that bought into the aggressive uh, monetary laughing gas uh, situation. So nothing to do with the budget, but every, anyway, mistrust has resigned. And interestingly enough, as you will see, we will have another budget in the UK where the deficit will increase, the spending will increase, but they will say that they're calming the markets. Mm -hmm. I, was, I was just going to add two things. One, the problems in the pension funds are obviously decades in the making, and then to blame it on trust is uh, uh, terribly convenient. And then two, it seems like every country in the world has two parties, the party of tax and spend versus the party of borrow and spend. Yeah. And ironically, borrow and spend you know, Keynesian was a hard leftist of his day. Uh, your Keynes, excuse me. Uh, the party of borrow and spend today seems to be the conservatives. Yeah. The tax and spend seems to be the left. Yeah. Um, although modern monetary theory, I think, is making inroads on the left. And MMT says, oh, you don't have to tax at all. 
except as a, an inflation sop. Um, exactly. Exactly. So, so, so trust resigned today because I hadn't seen that news yeah. yet. Yeah, um, she has she has resigned. It is Thursday, and, and she she resigned as was expected. To be fairly honest, it was the the, the chronicle of, of something that was going to happen almost inevitably. No, but uh, but funnily enough, <laughs> at the same time as she resigned, what I find most interesting in terms of of what we're likely to discuss further is that the Labour leader was mentioning what would be his massively different uh, economic policy and what is the massively different economic policy of the labor leader spend a lot more uh, and tax a lot more and not and not allow domestic production of natural gas exactly well that's the other thing uh, ban fracking obviously you know it's it's uh, i mean it's it's all a train wreck to be fairly honest yeah no it is i saw a um this is a few days ago, and your comment about it was inevitable. This press conference that Liz Truss had, and of course the British reporters are terribly, terribly polite, unlike American reporters. But the first one said, um, with uh, tongue out, why do you get to remain as prime minister? And then she somehow dodged that question, and then the next one said, well, yes, just to follow up, um, why, why should you still be prime minister? And they just kept asking the same question. It was like, wow, this is really um, open insurrection, mutiny on the bounty. And, um, you know, I don't know how a politician survives that once there's that that feeling of the inevitable. And I guess she didn't. So um, on to the next one, whoever it may be. I, I want to jump in here because this idea, I know, Daniel, you write about this. Spend now, deal with the consequences later. And Keith, obviously, you've just given a talk about pensions and how to destroy a, pen, a pension in 22 easy steps. And, and I like this idea. Spend now and we'll deal with those consequences later. And if that's not, you know, the slogan of MMT, I really don't know what is. It's Keynes, too. Keynes said, somebody said, but in, in, um, uh, your, what did I say? Your, your policies, we're all going to be dead. And then um, he said, in the long run, we're all dead anyway. They're very cynical. Anyway, we're now we're now later. Okay, we spent and deal with the consequences later. Later means now. Now yeah. we're dealing with them. That is exactly it. The problem with spend now and deal with the consequences later is that it gives it gives the impression to the uh, non-discerning public that uh, deal with the consequences later is simply well, nothing is going to happen, and everything is happening, and everything is happening, and um, the easy thing, obviously, as we're seeing all over the world is you blame it on the budget of one prime minister, you blame it on the Ukraine war, you blame it, or you blame it on anything, you know, so the, 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 the best scapegoat that exists out there is the external enemy. But it's interesting in the, that the in the Eurozone, we've had the same collapse in bond yields, sorry, the same collapse in bonds and the same rise in bond yields that we have seen in uh, the, the United Kingdom, for example, yet everybody says that all of the problem is Brexit. No? And so, so, right. so it's always anyone to blame except monetary policy. It's never to blame. So the fact uh -huh. that the fact that UK pension funds enter, entered into 1.8 trillion pounds of derivatives to uh, uh, cover for the alleged risk of interest rates and, and uh, uh, inflation uh, with very little collateral 
and that uh, a 20 percent decrease in the price of those bonds has triggered massive margin calls is going to be blamed on brexit and meanwhile uh, this morning in japan this morning thursday in japan the yen is at 32-year lows after the bank of japan has been intervening for two weeks without stop the, at least the, the 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 abrupt effect of monetary laughing gas coming to an end i don't know how it is in the uk in the us my understanding of pension funds is that they must continue to pay out at the full rate um essentially until they fall off a cliff so yeah. they pay and they pay and they pay when they run out of money it's yeah. like that and so um decades of falling interest rates have forced them to move out on the risk curve, move out on the yield curve in terms of seeking more duration, uh, move out into assets they should never be owning in a pension in the first place, in my opinion, such as equities, uh, and then finally, you know, leverage via all kinds of mechanisms, including swaps, just to try to make their nut, which is seven or eight percent. You can't go back to the taxpaying public and say the interest rate fell. Now we have to get another billion pounds injected of capital. That's not politically feasible, so you just seek more and more leverage. And finally, the, the favorite trick of borrowing short to, uh, to buy long assets. And then, uh, you know, you get an uptick in interest rates and boom, the whole thing collapses like the house of cards that it was for decades, but now finally revealed to be. And, um, right, and it's Liz, Liz Truss's fault. Um, exactly. Exactly. And how, and, how do you explain, and how do you explain the rise in yields in the United States? Because it isn't Brexit and it isn't Liz Truss. No, but it doesn't matter, Keith. The, 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 the rhetoric is that um, if something happens in the United States, it will be to blame because of the uncertainty about Trump winning, possibly winning the election someday. They will create a narrative. The narrative is... The narrative that is we have every day on the media in the UK and everywhere else is that uh, anything is to blame except the monster liquidity injection and uh, government spending of uh, 2020, 2021. Everything and except that. that that's, that's the elephant in the room, so we're not supposed to look at it. Exactly. So it's like you have this massive elephant in the room the room is being wrecked, huh? and you blame it on the kids, you blame it on the housewives, you blame it on the on the husband, you blame it on you know on the weather, uh, but it's instead of the elephant, and the elephant is there destroying uh, the furniture, and that is and that is what's going on. And obviously uh, now they're blaming on less trust. Uh, in the next, and um, everyone that's watching us and, and listening to us right now, pay attention to this. The next one, the one to blame, will be the Italian government. Hmm? will be the Italian government. The next one, the one to blame, will be the uh, alleged rise of the extreme right in Sweden. It's never going to be the ECB or the Bank of England. Right, and, and Daniel, I like you posted this. You posted, hey, there's breaking news that the, the Japanese yen is falling to 149.9 per US dollar, which is a new 32-year low. And you commented that evil Liz Truss. <laughs> trying to point out, trying trying to point out this uh, this joke, which is that why is it that that in all these other countries they're ha having these other structural issues, right? This isn't just something that happened one day out of the blue. These are structural, you know, decades in the making, long issues. Obviously, the interest rate being a huge part of that, and because one politician had a plan that you know some people didn't enjoy, 
Uh, everything now is to bl be blamed on Liz Truss. When I show up late on my date, it was Liz Truss's fault. Yeah. Obviously, uh, if there's bad connection, you know, Liz Truss is messing with the Wi-Fi. And <laughs> Keith, now I, I, I want to go to this point for a second. These are decades in the making long issues, right? The interest rate obviously falling pretty steadily um, for decades now. How is it possible that printing money, borrowing money, however we want to call it, is that really the uh, panacea that the central banks think it is? Hey, listen, there's a big structural problem. I know what we're going to do. We're just going to print our way out of it. We're going to borrow our way out of it. Maybe, maybe I'm not an economist and I just never understand how these uh, ideas work, but maybe, maybe you can explain them to me, Keith. So there's this rusty can on the side of the road and you go up to it and you give it a kick. <laughs> and uh, then, hey, that worked. Let's kick it again. And you keep kicking it, but each time it gets a little more dented. There's little tears in the aluminum. And um, can you keep kicking it forever? Uh, so th that's that's the, uh, uh, sh that should be obvious, I guess it isn't. Uh, intention with Adam Smith, who said, there's a great deal of ruin in a nation. That, you know, these seemingly horribly destructive, not seemingly, these horribly destructive policies, and it doesn't blow up right away. Because what they're doing is they're causing the nation to consume its capital. Well, there's a lot of capital in Europe, and there's uh, a lot of capital in America. And, um, you know, look at Venezuela. They implemented uh, Chavismo, is that what they called it? When yeah. Hugo Chavez was uh, elected. And, uh, you know, you get away with it for a while. And Venezuela had far less capital to consume than Europe or America. So, and they got away with it for, what, a decade or two? Um, before things got decidedly nastier around the time that Chavez died and uh, uh, this guy Nicolas Maduro took over and then things are worse and they're like, why can't you bring back the Chavez miracle as, as they regard it? Well, uh, you know, Chavez's miracle was consuming capital and then when it runs out, then the miracle is not repeatable anymore. Um, and so now, you know, now here we are. The, I, I was uh, mentioning this morning to my my pupils at the, at the business school where I where I teach, that um, in the French Revolution, when they created the assignats to to which was a completely fake currency that they created, um, the when hyperinflation came to full front, what the what the French Revolution did was to mm, try to elect a new minister of finance. No? So they, they looked at three people, three people with different policies. One of them said that they had to stop printing currency. No? The other said that they had to continue printing currency, but they had to slow the pace. Okay? Yes. The third one, the third one said that what they had to do was to print even more because the problem was lack of available currency in the system to stimulate the economy. Guess who elected? Who they? I'm gonna say. Let me guess. The first guy went to the guillotine. The second guy, second guy <laughs> went to the Bastille, and the third guy was elected. Let me just guess. Exactly. The third guy was elected, and this is this is the reason why Ben Keith, the reason why we were we we get so angry and at the same time so. Uh, so surprised that the, the public, the media, analysts, etc., don't see what is plain, uh, clearly evident uh, is 
because there are so many perverse incentives to continue with the aggressive monetary policy that um, no one wants the, the, the lights uh, to come down and the music to stop in the party. Hmm? The problem is that there's a point, as, as, as Keith was mentioning, in which the party is over because you've consumed all the capital in an economy. Huh? And obviously, we're far from having consumed all the capital in the economy. That's why uh, things as stupid as what we have seen this these past weeks, in which you hear that markets have been calmed by the intervention of the central bank destroying the currency even more. No, so uh, but ultimately, the problem here is the following: no? is the law of diminishing returns, hmm? because for a while. Uh, the, the the monetary factors do create a sense of uh, acceptability. Mm -hmm. But it only took a recovery in inflation and uh, inflationary pressures. And people, the average citizens, uh, doesn't believe anymore the, the, the narrative. No, First, they said it was base effect. Second, it was temporary. Then it was temporary but persistent. Then it was temporary but persistent, but with long-term side effects. There's lots of adjectives that have been added to the to the narrative. But temporary, with, temporary but, but persistent. I, I like love that. it. I, I love I love that. That was one of my favorites. Temporary but persistent. No, and the the problem is that you basically the narrative is based on the following: that the central bank that has a perverse incentive in continuing with this policy, and governments that have an even more perverse incentive because they benefit. Money creation is never neutral. They benefit first. Obviously, they pass the problem to the rest. Is that those two? Uh, agents are going to be the ones that safeguard the reserve of value and the purchasing power of the currency. And it's obviously ridiculous. It's like saying that the guy that's, uh, that's stealing the food in the supermarket is the one that's going to make it uh, viable, no? Mm -hmm. The fox the fox guarding the hen house. You bet. Um, the, problem, the problem runs very deep. I've had um, a number of ongoing arguments uh, particularly with George Selgin, um, about this idea that you can have a so-called sound money that's um, irredeemable currency managed by a central planner, a central bank. If only, if only you do central planning right, and um, which which is just nonsense. And so e even I call them the otherwise free marketers. They could tell <laughs> they could tell you what's wrong with a minimum wage. They can say why uh, rent control is going to be harmful. They can explain the problems of tariffs and um, banking regulation and how it makes it harder to raise capital. They can they can talk about all these things and, and explain why a free market is better. But when it comes to money, suddenly it's, well, we need a central bank and we need a fiat currency. And um, and here's the magic formula by which you manage it. No, no, no. Don't manage it by inflation and unemployment as the US does it, don't manage it by inflation as uh, the way you know, uh, Germany, I think Europe is one yeah. mandate, not, not two mandates. Uh, manage it instead by GDP targeting, nominal GDP. And um, you know, it's all the same thing. It's the counterfeiting of credit in order, which is the only, they only have one button on their so-called sophisticated dashboard. There's only one knob, which is, you know, issue more. Um, the US government or the US you know, Fed right now is trying to unissue currency and you can see 
uh, you know, the enormous problem. So basically it only goes in one direction and it's basically a, a knob that controls the rate at which they're um, issuing more. Um, and um, the whole thing doesn't work. It's just a, a process of, of playing out, you know, feeding out the, um, the seed corn, how fast you have the hopper dumping it onto the conveyor belt to feed the, the people the seed corn. And, um, you know, doesn't really matter which methodology you use. The point is it's the seed corn going out and next year we're not going to have a planting and therefore the following winter we don't have a harvest. Yeah. And um, so anyways, if even the otherwise free marketers want it, and of course, all the monetarists, the Chicago School, all the Keynesians, all the new Keynesians, all the modern monetary theorists, all the so-called neoclassicals, everybody in the economics profession from left to right to center and everywhere in between supports this. And every special interest group, Wall Street, of course, loves it. Um, everybody who owns real estate demands it, um, et cetera, et cetera. And who was the constituency exactly who stands for sound money. Yeah. I mean, it feels like we're a ragtag little bunch, uh, maybe really vocal, maybe a tireless irate minority, but we're a tiny little group um, that get, you know, very little mainstream play. Um, and, uh, you know, the rest of the world uh, just loves this um, gravy train as they perceive it. Yeah, but until it stops. Then everybody will be angry at, uh, at Bush. Yeah, exactly. The, the the problem is is that is how this transfers from uh, a, a, a financial and monetary narrative to a political narrative. No? Mm-hmm. So now we have learned. This is what we have learned right? these days: is that if you increase spending and cut taxes and bloat the deficit, it's really, really bad. But if you increase spending and you increase spending and bloat the deficit equally, it's really, really good. This is what we what we have been told over and over and over again. And and it comes from from a very simple, at the end of the day, a problem, which is that as the size of government becomes larger and larger in the economy, there are more and more agents that are incentivized to keep increasing the size of government. And it's both on the side of people that receive uh, some subsidies in the form of a currency that is constantly depreciated. They don't understand why those subsidies don't work. Uh, Or the people that actually benefit because their job is to spend all day saying that the elephant in the room doesn't matter and and look at look at look at the narrative of these days the bank of japan intervention doesn't work what does the imf immediately uh, come out and say first that the bank of japan intervention is not enough second that it's targeted and that it's limited what what do you mean targeted and limited? The last time I heard Mr. Kurola talk, he used the word unlimited twice. Huh? <laughs> so it, it, this uh, is, for example, what we hear all the time. This morning on TV, uh, somebody said to me, the problem is that central banks are reacting too aggressively and too quickly. And I said, really? That is That is a problem? Incredible. I was going to say, I'm, I'm, that that seems to be like that's finance minister candidate number two, and yeah. um, 
revolutionary France. We have to uh, print more, but at a slightly slower rate. <laughs> Central banks should, should, should react aggressively, but slightly less aggressively than they're doing now. And I have the magic formula that says 42. 42 is the right number. I'm sorry, that's a reference to Douglas Adams and uh, Hitchhiker's yeah. Guide to the Galaxy. Uh, right. If you haven't, for, for those who are watching this, if you haven't read it, it makes a, an entertaining read. But, you know, it's, it's just a magic number. I mean, who's to say what the right amount is? How targeted and how limited should it be versus what, spray it everywhere? Yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> also, they, live, they live in an unreality and people support it because they um, they think they're benefiting from it, ultimately. Because this this comes exactly you come to it comes to the point of what Krugman mentioned was the social value of money, which you say oh sounds very nice the social value of money what does it entail it means that one economic agent the government decides what the value of money has to be in order to disguise its own imbalances. No? And, and, and the, the problem that I see in any case is something that we have been discussing for a while, which is everybody now believes that the entire solution is for central banks to pivot and to uh, continue with this, uh, with a much looser monetary policy. What very few people seem to realize or to say is that in order to continue to support the numerous number of bubbles that have been created in the past years of the so-called bubble of everything, is that pivoting is not enough. Is that it's not just reducing the pace of rate hikes or stopping the rate hikes. It's not just not reducing the balance sheet, is that what happened between 2020 and 2021 is that the entire market got used to an expanding uh, money supply growth that required more expanding money supply growth because of all the things that you mentioned before, the collaterals and the, and the amount of leverage involved in derivatives. I was going to say, not only expanding, but expanding exponentially ah. while, the, while the interest rate continues to fall. Yeah, that is what that is what the entire present uh, system depends upon, and um, you know if they pause in that, let alone attempt to tighten, they'll they'll destroy or the, I, I shouldn't say destroy. The destruction is already there. I think yeah. the Austrian school makes a point that is probably not emphasized enough, even amongst Austrians, and totally unheard outside of Austrian circles. The destruction occurs during the boom. Yeah, the, the bust is simply the accounting, the, the realization, catching up to the reality of what's already occurred. Um, I, I think that's so they're not causing a destruction. Destruction already happened. They're just causing it to be revealed. You know, when the tide when the tide uh, pulls out, you see who's swimming naked. Um, but, uh, you know, with this little that they've done. And so I have to give a nod. Um, October is zombie month here at the Gold Exchange podcast. And we talk, uh, we have several episodes talking about the zombie, so-called zombie corporations and zombie debt, which the Bank for International Settlements defines basically as profits less than interest expense with, with a few extra stipulations tacked on the end of that. And, um, you know, a zombie only exists, it should be obvious, only exists by, by grace of two things. One, um, suppressed 
uh, interest rates or financial regression. Yeah. Um, and two, you know, markets that are so flooded with liquidity that, um, you know, in the desperate, desperate reach for yield that, for instance, the pension funds have been undergoing, but everyone else who has a nut to crack, you can't get that without huge leverage and even leverage isn't enough. You have to reach for the extreme risks. Uh, that's why the credit markets are so forgiving that a company that is uh, unable to pay its interest expense and part of the definition of zombie is basically unlikely. They're not open-ended, high-tech, high-growth companies. They're, they're unlikely to ever sort of emerge from it. Why is anybody lending them any money? Yeah. And the answer is the lenders are more desperate than the borrowers. You and, 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 and that creating that excess of desperation amongst the lender side versus the borrower side is the central banks flooding the, the economies with, uh, you know, pumping out, I call it credit effluent. You know, it's mm. kind of nasty, it's kind of smelly, it's full of bacteria and icky brown stuff, you know, particles floating around in it. And they pump it out at very high pressure, you know, is, is what central bank stimulus really is. And then the recipients of that are desperate to unload it into something, anything that promises a yield, you know, one basis point above their own cost of borrow. And um, thus the zombies get funded. Yeah. Now the problem is those zombies are producing consumer goods and producer goods that enable the producers of consumer goods to produce what they produce. If you destroy all the zombies, for, first of all, there's going to be a huge unemployment problem. But then secondly, um, supply of everything is going to go way down uh, because zombies are producing everything. They're a huge proportion of the economy. So do you destroy the zombies and take the blame for most, you know, the average layperson will think that that, that is the central bank caused the depression um, and not, not merely precipitated it or, you know, allowed it to be recognized. Um, or do you just, okay, turn up the, uh, turn up the pumps to warp factor 11, Mr. Sulu. Um, and uh, to mix my metaphors and go to Star Trek there. Um, you know, and of course, they're going to turn it to, to, to 11. So my prediction is the central banks will not only pivot, but as, as you said, they will continue to push interest rates down even more and, and more aggressively pump out credit than ever before. Not because I think that's the right thing to do. There is no, I mean, when you say what's the right thing for a central bank to do, there is no right thing. It's yeah. destruction or destruction. But my prediction is based on politically, there's no way that anybody's going to want to take the pain that uh, recognizing the mess um, uh, is going to entail. They're going to continue to kick that can down the road until the last shred of aluminum tears off of it and, um, you know, is lost into the into the weeds. And yeah. um, the only question is when. And I, my suspicion is it's coming soon. I mm. think there's a lot of wreckage and the U.S. pension system is probably slightly less badly off than the British pension system and probably smaller as well. I think a smaller percentage yeah. of American workers have a defined benefit pension plan at this point. But um, my, my guess is it's coming relatively soon. We'll see. Uh, I would agree with that. I think that the problem for many market participants that are continuing to pass on the uh, Federal Reserve and uh, Central Bank pivot is that or what it is relatively soon, occur completely, uh, it might be very long time for them. Hmm? Because well, long enough for them to go insolvent anyway. That's that is exactly the problem. That by the way, that is exactly the problem of the UK pension funds. 
because it's not like the UK pension funds, for example, found themselves surprised. No, uh, the UK has had higher inflation than the average of their comparable economies for a while. The UK's um, guilt market was completely absorbed by the uh, UK central bank, by the Bank of England, and uh, the and the Bank of England announced numerous times yeah, that uh, they were going to reduce those purchases. Furthermore, the, the economy was not in the shape of the United States. The United States may have significant challenges as an economy, and we discuss about them, but the UK was certainly quite weaker. Hmm? So the, the UK pension funds that multiplied by three their exposure to leveraged derivatives were aware of the situation and increased it. Huh? So the, 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 the last batch of margin calls came from a process of, in, of, of trying to capture a little bit more yield out of, uh, out of a portfolio that was in deep negative territory, not in 2022, but in 2021 and 2020. Double down. Exactly. That, that is exactly what is, what is going on. And this is the same thing. You know, I just read, and coming back to the zombie companies, that in Germany, and this is not new, okay? This, this is not, uh, this doesn't create turmoil in the market. In Germany, Uniper, which was recently uh, bailed out by the German government, May require, as you know, as you do, uh, another forty billion euro uh, of uh, a bailout package. Think about that. It's absolutely. I, I require a forty billion euro package. Where's Where's mine? Exactly. But that is. I come back to the point that you mentioned. Is that the narrative is not. What are we doing by, by bailing out these massive zombie companies? The narrative is not that. The narrative is, where is my zombification? I want my zombification. Huh? No? It's like that, that uh, uh, character in the Matrix that said, I want to be in the Matrix. Please bring me back to the Matrix. I, I, I know that this stake is unreal, huh? but I want, to, I, want to, uh, come I want to come back and taste it. Yeah, but one of the perversities of the welfare system is um, everybody wants to claim victim status mm -hmm. because to mm -hmm. be a victim is to be entitled to special treatment and subsidies and all kinds of things and it it, it reverses the normal uh you know mechanism of pride and turns it into this abasement no no, no i'm i'm hurting even more than you i'm an even bigger loser than you no no i'm a bigger loser and and that's the that's the competition I'm a zombie. I desperately need that money because, of course, it's coming from the non-zombies. Of course, That's the thing that nobody talks about and dragging them down into zombiehood themselves. Mm. But um, it's interesting because I had a I had a, a meeting with a group of uh, economic leaders on uh, on Monday, and one of them uh, said, "What we don't understand." Uh, is that uh, the environment is completely different from previous crisis because right now uh, companies that don't make money so don't have the need to shut down. But he said that from a positive perspective instead of a negative perspective. <laughs> and and uh, and there is and and one of the reasons why central banks will pivot 
earlier and probably more aggressively, as you mentioned, is because there is no single government in any developed nation that is even mildly uh, changed its stance on deficit spending and government spending. To go back to your point about, you said it approvingly that um, companies that are losing money don't have to close down. We've, we've reached such a level of unreality that people can't tell the difference between a feature and a bug. It's like saying that Windows crashed approvingly. That yeah. was good. Yeah. Because I didn't have to do as much work today. You know, that happened at uh, 4.52 p.m. and I figured it would be more than eight minutes to reboot. So I just shut down for the day, saved eight <laughs> minutes. Good thing Windows crashed. It's new um, how, how how we've gotten to that point is, is uh, a problem probably centuries in the making philosophically how things have degraded to the point where because you know, the people who say this stuff they know it at some level inside they know that a wealth destroying enterprise is not a good thing and all they what they've done is they've substituted get away with it for good because getting away with it is the only standard yeah and of course the government has the resources to allow infinite getting away with it or so they think and yeah. um, you know Venezuela could never happen here, and you know and that's the sort of a deeply held uh, faith, I guess. No, so uh, when, when I think that when we look at the at the next uh, till the end of the year, mostly the biggest challenge for both businesses and market participants will come from the massive problem of uh, crowding out because uh, governments bond yields might go up but governments are not going to find themselves in any real the UK didn't certainly uh, a problem to finance themselves however that is the case of the uh, of the other of the other participants in the economy so the crowding out effect added to the shrinking of liquidity even for a short period of time, generates that problem. I was going to say they um, they use the term austerity, which is roughly, as I can tell, means um, French candidate for finance minister number two. Yeah. Which is the, the growth of the welfare state is slower than we would like. That's austerity. Exactly. I, I don't think politically any major developed economy is um, uh, is willing to uh, even try auster so-called austerity, let yeah. alone to actually shrink the um, the budget and spend less. There's no, there's nobody. Yeah. Um, so the world just, you know, continues to go on. So um, we were just at the New Orleans Investment Conference, and we had a video set up, and we interviewed um, a number of the speakers. The general consensus amongst the folks that we interviewed, at least was that um, the Fed will continue with the rate hikes that it's announced through the end of the year. Um, after that, I'm not sure there's as much agreement as to what the Fed is going to do next. My, my personal belief is that, of course, damage and pain is going on with every, you know, at one basis point hike is causing somebody at the margin to fail. That's yeah. the definition of the margin, right? Is yeah. Somebody at the margin is on fire. And uh, but the Fed, I, I picture them as in this ivory tower that's like a hundred stories tall. So from their window, 
the people are the size of ants and they're running around and some of them are on fire and they're screaming and whatever but on the hundredth story you can barely see it you can't hear it and they say oh, well there's no problem there's no problem so the economy is fine it's holding up well subprimes contained you know whatever they say um so something has to happen to trigger a crisis where the flames are big enough that they rise to the hundred story window. So now instead of having to look down at the little ants below, they see right out the window, the flames are, are looking at the window. And then they say, well, we have to, uh, we have to pivot now. We have to be yeah. responsive to the, the new economic. And of course it isn't new anything, right? It's quite predictable. Um, the unintended consequences are quite predictable. Um, and now we're going to have to respond to that. And that's going to be a pivot. And we're no longer concerned about inflation because demand destruction or whatever it is they're going to say. And um, the question is, when when will there be an event or, you know, uh, insolvencies big enough that the flames are reaching the Fed's window on the 100th story of the ivory tower? Yeah. What, what will that be? I don't know. When will that be? My guess is fairly soon. Um, but, you know, things, there's a lot of lag in the economy when um, homeowners feel that they're underwater and, um, you know, to the extent that they have uh, variable rate mortgages, and of course it accelerates it, then they stop making their payments, they wait for the bank to begin foreclosure proceedings, eventually they give the bank the keys and walk away, but, you know, the bank is going to go 30, 60, 90, 120, you know, it's like things don't happen immediately. And then the first wave, they begin evictions, but they still have reasonable comps um, so that they're not writing down the portfolio just yet. The next wave is bigger, and then the comps are starting to be under pressure. So the bank has to start writing down, um, although I guess they changed the accounting rules, so maybe the bank doesn't have to mark anything to market anymore. So all these things just delay the onset of recognition, the moment of admitting the damage has occurred. And that moment could be, you know, as you say, quite a long time. I mean, I don't yeah. think it's years, but could be, I mean, it could be, it wouldn't surprise me if it was tomorrow. It wouldn't surprise me if it was a year from now. Wouldn't surprise me if it was in 2024. Um, I kind of expect it'll be 2023, first half, because I think there's a lot of things brewing and it could be any one of them. Um, but it's, you know, that's certainly not investment advice to go out and short the S&P or anything like that. No. Well, I want to I want to jump in here for a sec, as long as, you know, Liz Trust keeps my Internet strong and my connection sound. I, I really like that we had this moment of getting away with it doesn't mean that it's good. And I kind of want to <laughs> stop there for a second. I remember Bernie Sanders, he was giving a talk and he was saying, listen, these big corporations, these big corporations, they're getting tax breaks and they're, you know, getting all this money and all, all these great uh, goodies, free goodies from the government. But his next sentence was the important one. The people should also get those goodies. Yeah. Not that the goodies were wrong. Not yeah. that these, you know, uh, free, free money and all these kind of, you know, wink and nudge from the government to say, hey, you know, don't worry about what you're doing. Not that that actual action itself was wrong. It's that the people weren't also receiving it. And I think there's a big disconnect here. Economic laws uh, really do apply in some sense. I know, Daniel, you said someone said, wow, it's incredible. This, this company is not profitable, and yet, uh, and yet it still exists, as if that were a good thing. Uh, mm. I remember you know, I had some friends who would say, oh, this isn't socialism. This is democratic socialism. 
as if the democratic part is the important part of no 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 the socialism part is the important it's you know uh central banks i, I want to go here now central banks the important word is banks not central economic laws still do apply and it, it seems like yeah uh maybe there is a political privilege to not face reality but reality still exists and it looks like in 2023 we're going to start hitting that reality I, I mentioned this uh, uh, recently at a conference. Uh, the entire fabric of the system is pushing you to believe that two plus two equals 22, hmm? but it doesn't. And there's a point in which, you know, and it falls and it falls abruptly. This is what, what you know, we always say and, and people rarely understand is that, but obviously it's like filling up a, a, a bath of water and blaming it on the last drop. No, oh, the problem was the last drop. No, no, the problem is, is the policy. <laughs> the problem is the policy. The problem here is, uh, is that perverse incentive that you just mentioned, is that what the narrative will tell us that the and, and, and uh, the decision to target it on a on a very misguided budget of the UK is very clear on that is that as long as it, as you are entering into massive deficits to pay for entitlements that's not a bad thing but if you dare to reduce taxes and enter into the same deficits then it's really bad. And it comes back to that incentive is that why don't people get their bailout? No, in fact, when uh, Jeremy Corbyn, now forgotten in, in UK, but not his policies, mentioned the concept of quantitative easing for the people, that was exactly it. It was the zombification of the uh, of families and of small businesses. He wanted the same type of uh, exposure and the same type of, of, of problems not to reduce. No, so that is that is uh, that is where central banks will pivot. Mm -hmm. Right now, it is a problem of markets. Now it's a problem of equity, evil equity holders. Now it's a problem of bondholders. Yeah? Now it's a problem of uh, private equity uh, aggressive investors. Okay, that's 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 fine for the, from the central bank perspective. Wait. That it becomes a problem of the trillion deficit spending of the Biden presidency, or the trillion deficits, or the or the tens of billions deficit spending of the uh, French or German prime ministers. Yeah, Daniel, there's a uh, one of Keith's favorite economists, Francis Coppola, wrote a book called "The Case for People's Quantitative Easing." Not that yeah. there's an issue with quantitative easing; it's just who is receiving it, Daniel? Yeah, yeah. The, the money printing, the borrowing, this kind of kicking the can down the road, that's not the problem. It's who gets the benefits of those can kicks. Um, and I think the, the issue now that we're seeing, of course, is the revealing of this moral hazard. I know risk, yeah. uh, risk reward spectrums are, you know, maybe an elephant in the room that we're not allowed to talk about, but there's now an incentive to run uh, on these kind of risk curves to try to get just that little bit of reward. And I know we talked about um, this idea of there's no right way to do central banking. And this is one of those perverse incentives. When there is no yield, when there's no honest way to, to make money, people will become riskier and they will become riskier knowing that, hey, listen, if, if the pension fund starts to burst, well, we just know that the central bank is going to be there and they're going to make everything okay. 
it's not just that the that you're telling people that money is free is that you're telling people that money is worthless mm -hmm. therefore taking more risk does not have uh the the type of uh, consequences that one would expect and when they, those consequences happen you blame it on the central bank no but the, it comes back to the point of what you said it's not it's not a problem of central planning it's a problem of doing central planning right but that's an oxymoron you cannot do central planning right there's no such thing as right central planning for the very same reason why uh, there's no way in which i or if i was in 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 power i'm going to know exactly what the economy demands at once at one certain point i'm always going to run significant perverse incentives so my concern is that instead of learning from what has happened what we are doing is creating a new narrative that makes us unlearn from the uh, from the from the bond you bond route and the and the equity and the equity valuation collapse and you have people out there that have not that had huge exposure for example to uh, no earnings technology stocks that have not been blamed at all for buying things that were extremely expensive and extremely risky, but that are blaming central banks uh, on not continuing to pump up the valuation of, of those stocks. That's right. The fault is for not, not doing enough. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, to, to your point about unlearning, I think when it comes to monetary economics, there's been at least a century of unlearning. Yeah, but things that used to be grasped pretty clearly are now ancient and forgotten more, uh, or or you know outright in uh, in denial, um, you know in 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 the present day, and yeah, yeah. Um, you know even the idea of perverse incentive seems hardly to be grasped. Um, you know people sort of know what you mean by it, but they just want to gloss over it and. Um, you know, get back to the fun stuff. Well, what I what I found interesting, I was not trained as an economist. I didn't go to school or study economics in school, but uh, I do have something called a brain and uh, something about things that are illogical or don't make sense. It hurts my brain. And so when I heard about something called a yield curve inversion, uh, hmm. my brain hurt a little bit. I had to look into that. What does it mean that the riskier uh, type of yields that I'm uh, trying to acquire actually doesn't give me a higher yield. That confused me. So at Monetary Metals, obviously, we offer a yield on gold paid in gold. And the riskier that either a lease or a bond is, we have to pay you with higher interest rate. There is a risk and a reward spectrum. Uh, and that is just true. It's not true if you don't want it to be true or mm, I'd rather not talk about it being true. Mm -hmm. there, it just has to be true that the riskier something is, you should be rewarded with a higher return. And yet we see a yield curve inversion. Keith, I, I really want to hear what you think about this. Is it, am I just wrong that yield curves, they should kind of look like this weird little monster? <laughs> Somebody drew a picture of um, uh, Jay Powell's face and then rotated it sideways. So like it, the, the hump at 20 years was kind of the nose. <laughs> I thought that was amusing, but mm -hmm. um, Obviously, uh, what happens when the yield curve inverts is that there are huge forces uh, of involuntary actions 
that uh, temporarily takeover. And, um, you know, the Fed is aggressively pushing up essentially the overnight rate, uh, but they have much more limited ability to push up the long bonds. And um, so you get this inversion. That's not a signal by investors. They think that lending for 30 years is less risky than lending for one year. It's that um, the savers are disenfranchised anyway. It's an irredeemable currency system. And the market has a structure which is perverse. And um, when you have all these forced involuntary actions, um, desperately rolling over short-term liabilities and that sort of thing, um, you know, you get inverted yield curves. And um, it's one sign that the Fed is not going to be able to persist in hiking rates. I mean, right now, the, the last inversion is the three months to 10 year. What yeah. happens when that inverts? And that's only a few basis points away at the moment. Yeah. What happens when that inverts? You know, to, to paraphrase Lord of the Rings, where then will you go, uh, Gandalf? Um, will you enter the mines of Moria? Um, I don't know what they're going to do, but. Well, Daniel, I want to I wanna get one last question in here before we start finishing up. Zombie firms, obviously it's zombie month on the podcast. And we talk a lot about this kind of idea of zombification and maybe the the people's zombification. That's what re- really what we need. Maybe that'll be the title <laughs> of the episode. The people's the people's zombification. Um, but I, I want to get to a final question here. And obviously predictions are hard because they're about the future. I think it's the same. But do you see this rising rate environment, which is slaying a lot of these zombie companies and putting other companies into zombie status? Do you think that in the next, let's say, five years, uh, we're going to see more zombies, that, that there's just going to have to be a turnaround and, and an increase in zombie firms? Or do you think that they're really uh, they're going to do it this time? They're going to raise rates and they're going to slay that zombie horde. What do you think? They're going to raise rates, but they're not going to slay that, uh, that zombie uh, landscape because the big problem is the constitution of who are those zombie firms hmm? and the majority of the zombie firms is are uh, concentrated on that beautiful spectrum that governments tend to call strategic strategic companies airlines automotive companies big industries they're not they're not an idiot uh, with a shop that has borrowed too much hmm? they are newspapers they're media companies. There are telecom companies that are considered, uh, that used to be public a few years ago. So, interestingly enough to your question is that both things are going to happen. Mm -hmm. And what that creates is that the, uh, is that, is that the entire negative impact of normalization of policy, if we can call it normalization, the entire impact of the of the rate hikes is going to be absorbed by those businesses and those families that have done the right thing, not by the governments and the zombie companies that have done the wrong thing. Which is yeah. which is obviously a horrible point. And and I don't want to end on a low note. So instead I'm going to ask you, Daniel, where can we find all your work? Obviously we love love reading you on Twitter. Uh, we'll, we'll link to your Twitter there, but where else can we find your work? Obviously, your books are all great. Uh, tell, tell us where we can find more, Dan. Uh-huh. Thank you so much. Uh, the best way to find me is my blog. Uh, it's dlacalle.com. You have it in English and in Spanish. Um, you have also my YouTube channels, too, one in Spanish, one in English. 
and my Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, TikTok accounts. Unfortunately, it's easier to find me than to avoid me. Huh? So Daniel <laughs> is not difficult to find. You just key it in. Just make sure, the only thing I would say to our uh, English-speaking friends, is just make sure that you go to the Twitter account that's in English, the uh, the website in English, the uh, the YouTube channel in English, because I, we get from time to time comments saying, oh, we'd love to have you. We'd love to have you uh, commenting in, in, in English while well, there is an account in English. <laughs> well, uh, Daniel, I'm going to say, uh, sorry for my bad Spanish, adios from the Gold <laughs> Exchange podcast. And thanks again for coming on. Uh, thank you very much. And it's much better to say hasta luego, which means see you later. Adios is very definitive. And I'm hoping that we will continue our dialogue in the future. Thank you so well, much. Absolutely. The, the, yeah, the, the way the, the central banks are working and the markets are looking, <laughs> it, it's going to be hasta luego. So hasta luego from the Gold Exchange Podcast. Have a great day. This episode was brought to you by Monetary Metals. Monetary Metals is a different kind of gold company. Others buy and sell gold. Monetary Metals operates the Gold Yield Marketplace, a platform of products that offer a yield on gold paid in gold to investors and institutions. And our gold financing simplified, reliable financing denominated in gold with a built-in hedge for gold-using and gold-producing businesses. To learn more, visit www.monetary-metals.com. See you next time. <laughs>